welcome to our first research school podcast, Care to Share It with the Class. We are Manchester Communication Research School and we are based in Manchester Communication Academy in North Manchester. I'm Susie Fraser, Director of Research School and along with Rebecca Hawthorne-Clay, Assistant Director. Say hello, Rebecca. Hello. We will be talking to brilliant practitioners about their reflections and insights into evidence-informed practice. We will ask the same five questions. And like lots of explorations into evidence, probably discover more questions than answers. But we hope you enjoy it. Our first and very special guest is George Van Joey. George is a PE teacher and a teacher educator here at MCA. But George's journey into teaching and his time here at MCA since the doors opened 11 years ago is slightly unusual. Tell us a bit about that, George. Um, yeah, so I'm George and I basically started at MCA in 2010 when the school first opened and my role was an assistant site manager. So the whole idea of actually opening the door um, was what I was I did. Um, and then I did that role for a couple of months and then moved on to a teaching assistant role, working with particular students um, who struggled with um, behavior. And then I then had an interest in PE and sport uh, from previous roles that I'd done before coming to school. And so I then moved on to becoming a teaching assistant specifically for the PE department. Um, and then within that, the opportunity came up to become an unqualified teacher, uh, which I did for a year. And that sort of put me in good stead to then apply for um, uh, the teacher training with SKIT. And I then did that and qualified in 2014. And then I ended up working with the SKIT for a year as a professional mentor got a whole school role in student leadership and then finally led me to the role that I'm currently doing now which is a teaching assistant. Just such a brilliant story and an unusual pathway into teaching which is why it's great to speak to people from different backgrounds and get different voices into it so thanks George. It's probably worth mentioning here a bit of context about what that final role the one that you're doing at the moment which is teacher educator so uh, here at MCA we have a team of teacher educators and they develop our staff um, in the department so we're fortunate enough to have a weekly CPD slot for all staff and the model that we use is each half term begins with a whole school focus that's launched with everyone together and then the subsequent sessions each week are facilitated in the departments by the subject specialist teacher educators and they build on that original launch session um, so obviously your role in that is, is essential and as a result of what you have to do there you obviously have to have a good knowledge of research and evidence and bridge the gap between that and effective pedagogy and curriculum content. So can you tell us a bit about your journey into evidence-informed practice? Yeah, so um, my, my first real uh, look into research was looking at the EF toolkit and that came about when I was doing my student leadership role. So I was thinking about ways I could utilise the student leaders and essentially have a bit of impact and think about different ways that I can uh, use them within the school. So I looked at the idea of peer tutoring and it was something that um, on the EF toolkit and guidance came across as having quite a high impact. Um, and so that was my first real sort of look into research and, and just thinking about, about the impact it can have. And so one thing I did trial to do with the student leaders was um, pa pair them up with younger students. So I started off pairing them with year sevens and it was just getting them to read with those students. Um, and I think it was quite an interesting one because the students felt a lot more comfortable doing it. Uh, but I 
as with anything, it was the time to ensure that it was being done well and for me to also monitor how it was being done. And so, again, I felt like I needed a little bit more insight into what that peer tutoring actually could look like and how it could develop. Because that's the thing with the, the toolkit, isn't it? It's the headline's there, but then it's all about the implementation and the, what that actually involves or sitting around it, whether or not it's successful in and of itself. Intrinsically, it might not be. Yeah, exactly. I think that point around finding the time is um, is a tricky one and trying something for the first time, again, you think that's going to be a, a quick win mm. and we know that the, um, the outcomes are really positive for peer cheating, but it's the one that comes up again quite a lot around implementation. How do we make that work? So I think that's really interesting that you looked at that in a context that was outside classroom practice and more around the student leadership roles. Our next question is about a light bulb moment. So um, a moment that you've had where you've seen evidence in action and you thought that's something that you want to pursue further or you thought has a lot of promise. Um, for me, it's to do with uh, the science of learning and the idea of retrieval. So uh, one of the things that I managed to get on was a teacher-educator course that was run by Ambition. And a lot of the course was based around that. And it was something that sort of, kind of knew bits about it and I kind of had heard the word retrieval but it wasn't until I'd actually been immersed in it and looked at it in such in such depth and on a weekly basis that it sort of like resonated with me and I thought this makes quite a lot of sense um, and it was in terms of the depth I was thinking about when you would actually retrieve it was looking at things like the space retrieval it was thinking about things like the forgetting curve like should we wait we need to wait until that information's nearly lost and then try and retrieve it so it was thinking about all those small aspects of it that make it so successful and so that was something that in my own practice I was able to then reflect upon and think about how I'm doing it and how I'm actually making use of retrieval because again if, if it wasn't being done properly then it was just a waste of time really so I think it was for me it was that was a moment it was a light bulb moment for me. Thanks George and again that's one of those things isn't it that on the surface can seem like quite an easy thing to implement and we've at MCA been on that journey here where we've introduced activities that are quizzing or retrieving prior learning but we're now at the point where we're thinking about how do we maximise that retrieval activity um, and again there's so many rabbit holes that you could go down isn't there around what do you retrieve, when do you retrieve, how do you retrieve and those light bulb moments tend to come when you see that penny drop with a student that gets something that not previously got absolutely and, and something when you're doing your teacher educator role you, you're in a smaller department rather than at a whole school level so you're able to have those properly rich discussions with practitioners in the classroom about their own implementation and, and reflections on things because i know in the research school we spend a lot of time talking to uh, participants in the courses about evidence informed rather than necessarily evidence led and what you're talking about here is that kind of intelligent adaptation, having a go at something, seeing how it works, how can we evaluate it and then improve it and refine it all the time. So it's kind of the ethos of how you want people to work with research in a school setting. Um, so the next question like, builds really nicely on that, really. We want to think about this idea of best bets. So at the research school, likewise with Ambition Institute, you hear this phrase, the best bets from research, because it's not just dead cert. Um, so of all the best bets that you've come across in, in research-informed practice, what would you consider to be the best bet? 
Um, for me, it's the idea of metacognition and trying to get students to be independent learners. I think it's it's such a broad area, but it's quite a powerful area to, to think about because I think it has impact on so many other areas of teaching practice. And um, so it's just thinking about the way that students can perhaps build their motivation because of metacognition. It can be thinking about um, how students can support their learning outside of the classroom. So whether it's thinking about revision or homework. Um, so metacognition is something that I think is really key to giving students the access to their learning, giving them the confidence mm. to be able to drive their own learning forward. Um, and in terms of metacognition, I've, I've been... I looked at it for quite a while because it, <clears throat> when we first introduced discipline inquiries into the academy, I did my first discipline inquiry on metacognition. I was looking at works examples with um, a year nine BTEC class and I was looking at explicit, being explicit and thinking aloud about how I'm actually answering those questions. And then on top of that, after that, I ended up then doing a learning community on metacognition. So I feel like it's just something that <clears throat> I've worked quite a lot on and I feel that it encompasses so much in order to build that classroom practice in terms of what the students are able to do. I just follow up on that discipline inquiry that you mentioned on there. That's um, a, a professional development activity that we introduced here probably about four years ago now, um, inspired by the work at Huntington Research School. And the, the premise of that was that every practitioner took an element of evidence-informed practice and effectively did an action uh, an action-based research project in the classroom um, and the idea was that it was a way of engaging practitioners in research developing a shared language around evidence-informed practice and developing that curiosity and, uh, and inquiry um, we set out that there was no um, expectation that the project succeeded but it was more about engagement and just if we do a little bit of an aside at this point, George, what are your reflections on, obviously you've talked there about the reflections of metacognition, but in terms of the process of that from a professional development activity, what are your reflections on that idea? Um, I think from, from, my, from my point of view, it's really good to get staff thinking about research and engaging in research, because in order for you to have done the discipline inquiry, you needed to have engaged with specific research in order to... to to do whatever task you've chosen to do. Um, I think the only thing would have been perhaps narrowing down the focus, which then would have been able to then provide additional support. So the wraparound support for completing the discipline inquiry, I think would have been better if it was more streamlined and more focused. But the idea in itself of being able to actually <clears throat> go away, think about something, implement it into your practice. And I, I like the fact that it was, um, low stakes as well where it didn't have to work but as long as you've engaged in it now luckily unfortunately in my situation it worked quite well um because students were, there was evidence of the students doing better in their in their exam extended answers so that was something that i was able to do as a cpd in my department as well so i think it's good because it could be something that we can then branch out into our departments which and if there was anything that worked particularly well that could have then branched out outside of the department and the whole school. So I think, um, yeah, that was my reflections on it. I definitely agree with you there. And it goes back to the point you made around metacognition, say, you know, metacognition being really broad. And it is certainly broad.
broad and quite complex to get right. Um, there is a risk that it can be oversimplified and we expect quick wins maybe. We try something in the classroom and we expect to see that impact on student performance quite quickly. And what we know is that, particularly with things like metacognition, there's a change in habit and a change in behaviour which takes, takes time to establish. Um, and I guess developing that culture of evidence-informed practice is having the confidence to accept that that happens and that there are those setbacks and we can evaluate and intelligently adapt. Thanks. So obviously we've spent some time there thinking about what's gone well and what's been successful and, and that's really important and that's worth celebrating. But likewise, part of the ethos of working with research and being evidence-informed is recognising it doesn't always go well and it's not always easy to, to implement. So um, I wonder if you could tell us about an aspect of evidence-informed practice that you found tricky to implement in your practice. Uh, yes, so... For me, one thing that I found tricky to implement was um, around literacy, and it was around thinking about improving vocab and looking at tier two and tier three vocab, and how I can bring that into my lessons and how it can be purposeful and useful and have that impact, the intended impact. Because um, it was that idea of it's not just down to English teachers and we should all be teachers of, yeah. of, of literacy sort of thing, uh, but it's thinking about context. So things might work in one context that don't work in another. Yeah. And for, for myself as a PE teacher, trying to implement this in a practical context mm -hmm. was a lot more difficult than if I was in a classroom context. And so it wasn't so much to do with the research itself, but it was how to actually go about implementation of that particular mm -hmm. piece of research. And so there was... It was basically trying to give students exposure to those that vocab and the meaning of that vocab and trying to use it within that lesson. Now, I tried different ways of doing this, so perhaps introducing it in the change rooms while, while the students were getting changed or after they got changed and then asking them to then use it within the lesson. Now, you can imagine that's quite tricky because they've not got any books. Yeah. Um, there's the whole idea of memory there's so much that's happened from the change room to them actually getting to 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 the lesson yeah. and so those were the things that I found tricky was them being able to then use that vocab yeah. within the lesson because some students with the best will would have forgot what yeah. that word was or the yeah. meaning of it um, again and then it's then me trying to then uh, use it in the in the lesson and bring it back to their memory but again it's the it's the practicality of that yes. on a cold winter day in November it's yeah. very difficult to try and do that uh, and so for me I found it quite tricky to do it effectively it was mm. it was fine it was evident and it was able to do it put it in there but I found it very hard for it to have the intended impact basically. I think if we were going to take a guess at what might have been a challenge for a PE teacher or yeah. a practical teacher then it might have been something around literacy and obviously Rebecca and I are English teachers and so we could have foreseen that that might have been a challenge um, but I think what's interesting is as we've looked at the explicit teaching of vocabulary that provides some common commonalities for all teachers so the challenge there around using vocabulary I think that's also a challenge for English teachers as well. We're very good at um, explaining or introducing, but bridging 
that next step into how do students embed their knowledge of vocabulary, how do they use it in different contexts, that's a common challenge across all subjects. Um, we can sympathise with the physical challenges of a changing room, but uh, there's definitely some uh, some shared challenges there. There's something around maybe mentality, like staff mentality and student mentality as well. If they think that they're in a PE practical lesson, they might be wondering why on earth while I'm getting my socks on or whatever, are you asking me about these more themes or whatever's going on there? So I think it's that um, understanding of the relationship between literacy and the curriculum content, the delivery of an effective curriculum, and that comes to getting the buy-in from staff as and students, isn't it, that... Um, overcoming those barriers in as creative way as possible is worthwhile because it's not something that's tokenistic and it's not something you do in to tick a literacy box. It's empowering your student to be able to articulate your curriculum and think about your curriculum in a deeper way. So, yeah, as an English teacher, we find, we find this fascinating and I think it's really good that you're kind of honest about the struggles um, that, and the ways you've tried to overcome it because we all, whatever subject we're in, will all come across research that we find harder or that doesn't sit as, you know, our own biases, we bring our own biases, don't we? We bring our own experience. So it's worth thinking about the importance of really thinking and really considering how we overcome obstacles when it's really critical. Um, yeah, thanks, George. I think that point you made, you've made a few points around how you've changed things or adapted things or tried new things. Uh, and maybe we can take that for granted sometimes that, that we have a culture where that's welcome um, and we shouldn't really underestimate that, that that there's power in that, isn't there? That practitioners yeah. at all levels from ECTs to senior leaders to experienced practitioners like yourselves, we should feel through an evidence-informed lens that we can make those adaptations and take those risks and there's something really powerful in that because that's how we learn. Absolutely. Okay, so our final question is looking forward um, and one strand of work of the EEF is to look at um, new evidence and interesting projects or promising projects. So um, is there an area of practice that you would like to see more research into and why that? Um, so it's quite an interesting one, that one, because I feel that there is some evidence out there, but again, it's thinking about how what that looks like in the classroom setting. So the area that I've I thought about is collaborative learning. Now, I think collaborative learning has its benefits. And the reason I've thought about this is, again, because of my background in PA, there is there, there is a lot of collaboration in PA in a practical setting. However, it's thinking about what that might look like when you're sat in a classroom and you're doing a theory lesson. How can we maximise the use of collaborative learning? Uh, because in terms of the benefits for that, the student's confidence will be improved with the collaborative learning. There's usually a higher quality of work because you're obviously getting different opinions. It builds motivation and I think it also increases that idea of the accountability because you're holding each other to account. And I see that in a practical sense. Uh, you don't want to let someone down, but what does that actually what could that actually look like in a classroom setting? Um, so I think we've 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 trialled it with staff in the example, like a learning community type of example, where staff are put into a specific area of research or a particular area of teaching practice and they collaborate around that. Uh, again, that's got its positives and negatives, but it's something we've, we've trialled with staff, but I don't think we've really dug deeper into it with students. Mm -hmm. 
So for me, it's just a big question mark there until what what can the research be within that area? There's some interesting um, links there between peer tutoring, which you identified earlier on as uh, something that you part of your journey into evidence-informed practice and the, the nuanced difference between that and collaborative learning um, and that idea of that shared accountability again links to metacognition doesn't it that students are able to um, recognize where things are going well or where things need to change and they take responsibility for that so I think that nuance is, is really interesting um, and again that link between what does that look like for adult learners and student learners and the frameworks that we need to put around that, you know, reflecting on how we um, established learning communities for adults and really moved away from that quite considerably uh, because of the demands on the framework around that for adults. So what does that look like for students um, to make it successful is interesting. Yeah, and it, it increasingly part of our CPD, we're thinking about behaviour psychology, you know, other areas of research that are not strictly educational but do, do bleed into our area of work and when we're thinking about how we set up CPD for example we think about motivation and intrinsic and extrinsic and how collaboration plays a part in that the role of sociable, sociability in that so um, yeah thinking about how there's the whole emergence of other areas of research that are well established in other disciplines or in other careers or institutions and now trying to bring that in in a relevant way and find a research or and hopefully commission research that will look more into what that looks like for children is really really exciting great well that brings us to the end of our first podcast mm -hmm. so a big thank you to george thank for you, george. his reflections and his insights mm -hmm. um, and it certainly made me think about lots of things too um, so thank you we will be back shortly yeah that's thanks it. for listening thank you bye thank you bye